0: The following is a paid presentation. The views expressed do not necessarily represent those of the staff and management of Shiawassee Radio.
1: Okay. We're alive. Was where one of the things I want to see happen was uh, Dick Allen getting into the Major League Baseball Hall of Fame. Tell you a quick story about Richie Allen. When I was a kid, and I was sick in New Jersey. I got to meet Dick Allen, who was a great baseball player for the Phillies amongst other teams. He came to the Shore Mall. And this was a time period when I was really touch and go. You know, they thought I was going to die as a kid. And that one day I felt a little better, and Mom took me to the Shore Mall. I got to meet Mr. Allen, and he didn't just sign autographs for me. We talked for a while he has about my baseball career as a little leaguer and um such a good man and i thought finally that he was going to get into the hall of fame and he fell one short one vote short so mr allen i know you're up in heaven your time's gonna come you're gonna get into the hall of fame you are a great player I always have that great memory when I was a sickly kid in seventh grade and you taking the time to talk to me. So thank you for that. Rest in peace. Okay. I am Bill Amadeo from McManus and Amadeo and Grable and Associates. And tonight we're going to get into the fear of copycat tragedies. Of course, we're playing on the Oxford tragedy. This is
0: your cell. This is your this is The Jail Visit on Shiawassee Radio. Live
1: from the co oil and propane studios, here's attorney Bill Amadeo. For those of you that don't know, the 36th District Court in Detroit was shut down due to a bomb threat. Ashley DuPlessis texted me earlier and told me about that when I was in Zoom hearings. And we're seeing a lot of people that are just going to take the crumbly tragedy... And copy it and mock it. And it's really, it's a scary time for society. So we'll talk about that. We'll talk about judicial elections. A lot of people are asking me, am I going to run for Washington Circuit Court Judge? I will address that briefly tonight. I have six questions that came in, I'll answer those questions. And, you know, tonight, feeling a little nostalgia about nostalgia has really hit me hard today. I've been working since like 7.30 a.m. Since Shiawassee earlier. Had to go meet with some clients. Shiawassee live court, and then I head back to AA for a bunch of zooms. And, you know, exhaustion's kicked in. Yeah, you know, and I, I do wonder. I noticed Supreme Court, our Michigan Supreme Court has initiative right now for more Zoom hearings. If COVID and the new thread is amping up, I don't understand why we're not doing more Zooms. Obviously, each district and circuit court judges their own, king or queen, so I'm gonna follow the rules. But I will tell you, in the legal community, there's a lot of confusion for like pretrials and probable cause conferences and non-evidentiary hearings why we're not doing more things on Zoom. We really need some kind of unity right now because there's so much we can accomplish virtually. Obviously, if there's a confrontation issue, we need to be in person, but there's a lot that can be done on Zoom. I really think Zoom or some kind of technology is the wave of the future in this profession. And um, I hope we adopt it more. But, you know, today was just, it was one of those days. And I was here after hours I was listening to Spotify. And there was this song by Warrant, The Bitter Pill. You may or may not know it. Warrant was one of my favorite um bands growing up. And Janie, the lead singer, he died a sad death, way too young. But for years they were a powerful band, and it just it got me thinking about a lot of things. You know. I mean, our past Really dictates a lot of our future. And I think a lot of people I'm close with right now are going through a lot of shit. You know, and I think struggles from the past can do one of two things it can destroy you, it can make you just throw in the fucking towel. Or. It can make you say, f*** it, let's fight. Obviously, I've always adopted that fight mentality, but the fight mentality does get exhausting sometimes. So, I just want to say this. Where we're at in society right now, we're really dealing with a lot of stuff, and we need to really fight. Fight to get through this shit. I was thinking back to a story from when I was 17 years old. Some of you have heard this before, but I think it's worth repeating right now. There were um, three of us who used to work out at this little tiny gym in Atlantic City. We used to work out after hours late. It was a senior year of high school. And there was this guy who used to come to the gym, and he was kind of one of the guys that was like in the know. You know, he was like this slick drug dealer. He told us how to split jabs. He was a good fighter. Seemed like a nice guy, but he was a shady character. And one day he offered us money to drive a Bronco to California. And there was 10 grand in the Bronco. Now, obviously this wasn't an Uber type situation. There was gonna be delivery of drugs. And I was the only one who chose not to partake in this delivery of drugs. And I was dead broke back then. The other two made the trip and they made many other trips. One of the other two is dead now. One is in prison. And you really gotta wonder, like if I would've made that trip I'd probably be dead or in prison, you know. And I think the main reason I didn't take that quick money, which was so desperately needed back then, was I had my aunt and my mom at home. We had dysfunction in the house, you know, but a lot of emotional support, a lot of love, even though we were poor at the time. And they kind of bred me for success, even though we didn't have a pot to piss in back then. So i always be grateful to that. But I think at that time... And I'm watching today with some of these case dismissals and money coming in. And I realized, man, I would not be anything without Aunt Mar and Mom. What they did for me. How they stood by me. And I think of that when we think about the Crumbly situation. What were these parents doing? Now, are they responsible Is involuntary manslaughter a proper charge? Now, as we well know, we can't charge parents for being emotionally absent. But we can charge parents for what is Michigan's version of criminal negligence. I'm not going to get into the elements tonight. And I'm not going to talk about how I would defend the case. I already said that. But. Court of public opinion, are the parents responsible for what's happening right now or what happened? How much of a role do they play? You know, I heard at the arraignment defense counsel said how things were being cherry-picked and this, and I don't necessarily agree with that. But I will say this: if you're a parent right now, what's your thoughts? I mean, are you pissed off at the Crumblies? Do you feel bad that their child did this? I guess one of the things that kind of surprises me, and Allie Pertell, she's an old friend of mine from Lansing, she was texting me the other day, and she made a brilliant point I hadn't thought of. The parents have retained counsel, and the child does not. He has court-appointed counsel. I think the parents as far as social media trends go, have become a bigger story than the child. Now we know the child is the one who committed the tragedies. I seem to think that people are holding the parents accountable. And as Ali Pertel said to me, if my dog bites somebody, I'm responsible. Are these parents responsible for the tragedies just as much not as much or even more so than ethan crumbly i'm sure a jury will make that decision and the judge will decide on motions but i see a lot of copycat things happening today again emily thomas texts me and it's from Perry schools dear staff and families we have been made aware of a video on social media we are currently investigating we are working with the City of Perry Police Department on this matter. We take all matters of safety and security seriously. At this time, we have no additional information, but we want to communicate with you in a timely manner. We will communicate before school tomorrow as more information becomes available. Here's the thing let me be very clear to anybody and everybody watching. Shiawassee is near and dear to me in fact i will say in a lot of ways i consider shiawassee more home than washtenaw i may live 90 minutes away but i feel at home in shy <clears throat> i don't always feel at home in washtenaw and i think part of that well it's a lot that goes into that you know you fought so hard to get to washtenaw this was like the golden era you know washington and oakland county big money communities and it's always kind of a kick to go from being a poor kid next to pitney village to being who the f- i am in ann arbor today been a very interesting journey but i do connect with a lot of people in shiawassee and i will say this if anybody does anything in shiawassee as far as hurting children in the school not only wouldn't I take the case no matter how much money you throw at me, I would do anything in my fucking power to help Scott Corner prosecute the parents and the individual who would be involved. Anything I could do leave Shiawassee the fuck alone. God. And the horrible thing that we're dealing with right now, I told the people in Shiawassee every day texting or whatever. Guys are scared right now. This thing comes out from Perry. Somewhere out there, there's a kid right now who's sitting in his room. He feels unwanted by the in crowd. He's frustrated with life. And maybe he found some people on the internet who are also just as frustrated with life. And he wants attention really bad. And he's watching what's happening with Ethan Crumpley and not thinking about the fact that he could do life in prison or take innocent lives. He is thinking about the attention he's going to temporarily get. He's not thinking of the big picture. To that young man who's out there in different counties across our state, I think of a couple things, guys. One, we need to try to reach him. We need to try to help him, not just for him but for the innocent lives that this individual could take. And to me, if we don't reach him, we can't pretend this didn't happen. If we don't try to reach him, we're all failing each other. And that failure is going to lead to more tragedies. Right now, we need to take a look at all the kids in school. We need to basically say the hell with privacy rights right now. My fear is if we don't investigate everybody and say the hell with everything other than protecting these children, we're going to have more tragedies right now. You know? Scott Zolber was a good friend of mine. He's gone now. Scott had a couple kids. May Scott rest in peace. And Scott said to me once after Sandy Hook happened, because Sandy Hook hit New Jersey really hard, I'm scared because I know if they're going to do it, they're going to be successful, meaning school shooters. We're in a weird time. you know. We're still in the COVID era. And we're seeing people find each other on the internet. I truly believe if the internet was as powerful today as it was back when i was in high school we would have saw more of this we're finding lost kids that are finding each other and they couple with ideas to become the center of attention and many of those ideas end up in these deaths i can't have mercy for ethan crumpley or the Crumpley family. And I did tell you I wouldn't be involved in the case um, when people called. And let me be clear, because I've heard some sh- about this. Shannon Smith was probably their first option. I'm just saying that we got a call about the case from somebody. And I had no interest in it. This is a situation where I feel an example needs to be set to both the parents and this kid. Um, The max sentence for everybody has to be imposed here. Examples have to be made because if there is a light sentence in place, it's going to send a wrong message. It just is. I am in no way a prosecutor. I've been offered different prosecutorial jobs and it's just not in my DNA. But this is the one case where I just feel the prosecution's right. I just can't endorse what happened on any level. And you know, I'm such a proponent of mental health issues. I've had so many clients where I have utilized mental instability to help protect them because intent wasn't formed. I don't know how intent could not have been formed here. I I just... I'm sure a competency report's going to be filed and he will come back competent, but I just don't see anybody who was that strategic not having some level of intellect to know what they were doing. You know, this isn't some kid that got into a fight and things went too far. This is somebody who systematically planned things out. And the question I have is, did the parents... No, did they endorse? Did they turn a blind eye? was in the house, but I certainly stand with the prosecution here, and anybody in Shiawassee, be real clear. if you are charged with this somehow Scott Corner decides to charge somebody who's involved in this. Don't call my office. You're going to get an adverse reaction. If you're making a threat in Shiawassee, I want the prosecution to nail you to the cross. This is not something we can tolerate. I would literally do anything in my power to work on enhanced sentences for anybody. I don't want it being done anywhere, but Shiawassee just hit so close to home. Obviously, I don't want this happening in any community, okay, but... I'm seeing things pop up in social media on Shiawassee, and I'm concerned about Shawasi. I don't, and I could tell you, Judge Matthew Stewart, if you were before him on something like this, God help you. He's not gonna let that shit go down his community. He's just not. You have less than a snowball's chance in hell of getting a lenient sentence. Be clear on that. Raquel Munoz says, how do you defend someone accused of CSC crimes? I want to defend a juvenile school shooter. Number one, the key word is accused. Many of the CSC cases I have, it's bullshit. There is no evidence. It's he said, she said. There's not a video of a juvenile going to a fucking school and planning something in premeditated fashion. I'm not going to get into some of my cases, but I'll tell you this. I have zero problem with many of the cases I defend, and one of the questions that came in tonight asked me that. Do you know how many times people lie about CSC allegations? Do you know how many times people make a CSC allegation up because of a bad breakup? Or because of financial ramifications, like there's civil litigation going on? It's not even close, Raquel. Not even close. So, yeah, that's how I defend someone accused of CSC in those situations. I'm not going to defend a kid when there's video of him going into the school and there's evidence that he planned to do this. And if you want to go over any of my CSC cases and you find evidence where there's DNA that somebody did something and they planned to do it before, I certainly wouldn't take that case. Let me be real f-ing clear on that. So... On that note, there is concern in this community. There's concern in Shiawassee. There's concern across the state of Michigan. And I think we definitely need to set an example. We need to set a bad example here. Set an example that this won't be tolerated. Now, judicial elections. People have asked me, will I be running um, in 2022 for the Washington Circuit Court? Let me discuss this with some people. I had really thought about this. There was a time in my life when I really wanted to be a judge. It was kind of one of my dreams. Now, I can say this. There's one person who may be running. I'm pretty sure they're gonna run. And I feel that person would be a much better fit than myself. I don't feel me being on the bench would be an ideal situation for a couple reasons. One, other than the Crumpley case, I'm very pro-defense. Probably too pro-defense to be objective all the time. I know my own limitations there. Um two I mean Christ, if you watched my Facebook lives, would you really want me on the fing bench? Jesus. I mean let's just be real. Um and three I've got two hundred and eighty cases in sixteen communities. And with that being said, the conflicts would run pretty strong and there would be a lot of issues there. Finding replacement councils. I wouldn't do that to my clients. When I was tutoring, I was offered a decent job, and I wouldn't leave until my students had all graduated, which cost me the job. I've never been a fan. Like, when I see coaches leave before the season's over, that just pisses me off. I know about the recruiting ramifications, but if you made a commitment to something, you need to finish that commitment. I certainly have made a commitment to my criminal defendants. They are my clients. They're important to me, and I'm not just going to roll on them i don't know about the future but i could tell you right now i don't think i'm the right person for the washington circuit court not for the bench i like where i'm at i feel comfortable where i'm at and i think i'm doing a lot of good where i'm at i also feel that there could be one perfect candidate out there and if this individual formally runs i will back them 110 percent because we need this individual this individual is somebody who I've worked with a lot, who I admire, and I'll back them if and when they decide to run. All right, there were some questions that came in. I'll answer these questions, and these are interesting questions. I'm gonna take Mike, Mike P. Mike Pacockney's question first. Mike texted me when the questions came up, and I'll read his question verbatim. What's your opinion of Representative Jewel Jones' rejection on a plea? Okay. Here's the thing about the Jewel Jones case, and Mike made some good points. And the the things we text, I won't share that, but I will share his question he's a brilliant guy mike if you're watching i always appreciate our conversation actually consider you a friend um and pat is over here talking about false allegations and pat they happen all the time csc allegations are often false let's be clear it's the one situation where hearsay rules just get thrown out the window there's a presumption that when somebody yells csc they're guilty before and you got to prove their innocence so If somebody's really a victim of a CSC, they deserve to be nailed to the cross. But if they're a victim of a false allegation, the person who makes the lie deserves to burn. Be real clear on that. With the Jewel Jones situation, I'm going to say this. If I was in Livingston County, and quote me on this, if a loved one was charged with a crime in Livingston County, I would hire Bill McQuarrie. He would be my first call. Bill McQuarrie is who I sat with on my first couple trials. I've learned a lot from Bill. I consider Bill a mentor. It's not like Bill and I hang out regularly, but Bill would be my call. Nothing against Jewel Jones' lawyer. I just think Bill is the perfect fit in Livingston County. Second, I know that Jewel Jones rejected the um, plea today. And I know there's been some alleged bond violations, too. What I will say is this. Livingston County does not really mess around with bond violations. I don't know enough facts about the case to speak intelligently on it, but I do know Carolyn Henry. I know Carolyn Henry really well. She was a great defense lawyer. She is the cap there now. She's the chief assistant prosecuting attorney. And I will tell you, Carolyn Henry's approachable. She's tough, but she's fair. I mean, I was recently on a case out there, and I didn't get the plea I wanted, we battled through it, but Carolyn met with me, she had an open ear on things, and I respect her, even though we're on different sides of the aisle. If Carolyn Henry is one of the reasons this guy's getting the offer he's getting, which I believe included Haida, it's probably an offer he should take advantage of without knowing all the facts. And, And Lindsay, I don't know all the facts of the bond violations. I do know Livingston County has a very different approach than a Wayne County and understand something, Wayne is different than Livingston, Livingston is different than Washtenaw, Washtenaw is different than Shiawassee, Shiawassee is different than Lapeer, Lapeer is different than Jackson. Every one of these counties has their own language. You need to learn how to speak that language if you wanna practice in that court. And I'm not bad-mouthing Mr. Jones's lawyer. I don't know the guy, I hear Mr. Nolan's a fine lawyer, but I'm just telling you, when Carol and Henry makes an offer with a younger person, I don't care if it's a young person who claims they're doing the budget for our state, or a young person that just made a wrong turn in life, she's going to consider, number one, is there a victim? And number two, Do you want to hurt somebody's future? From what I understand, the felonies would have been dismissed with Haida. Don't know the facts of the case, but I do know if they're talking to Mike and doing a little bit of research on it, I don't think Carolyn would try to jam up anybody unnecessarily. She's not gonna let you just come into her county and you know, flip off the world. But I also think she's concerned about young people's future and I imagine the offer she made to Mr. Jones was in some way going to protect his future. So with that being said, not knowing Jewel Jones, but knowing Carolyn Henry, I'm probably thinking the defendant should have taken that play. Don't know the facts. And I don't know if I'm the lawyer, if I'm pushing this thing to try, but I'm just telling you, I know and respect Carolyn Henry. Based on who I know, that's the direction I go with that question. Next question, what are your feelings towards Cooley? All right, so when I came to law school in August of 2004, I will say that Cooley was one of the few places that gave me a shot and I'll always appreciate that. Um, I stayed at Cooley I excelled at Cooley. I could have transferred basically to anywhere I wanted after my third term, and I stayed there. I'll always have an appreciation of Cooley for giving me my chance to go to law school, but they did it for $150,000. They didn't do it because they were impressed with my interview. Let's be clear about that. Now, some of the things I've seen happen at Cooley are just mind blowing to me. I know when I had a tutoring company, many people the in it coolly tried to shut it down. I know uh, Dean Zirconi couldn't stand me and feelings mutual. By the way, Dean, how is your unaccredited school in Indiana doing these days? Not working out. Anyway, yeah, Sir was a big enemy of mine. And he didn't just try to not let me tutor. I mean they tried to f up my business. And my business one of the reasons I wasn't practicing law full time. It's because the tutoring was guaranteed money, and I was supporting my Aunt Mare. Mom died. Aunt Mare was like a child I had who I had to support financially, and Cooley did everything to put me out of business. So, I'm not a big fan of Cooley. I don't think my success is because of Cooley. I think sometimes it's in spite of Cooley. I know I went a murder trial. I don't hear anything about it. And somebody does a self-published book, and they post about it in Benchmark. So... I don't think Cooley really embraces criminal defense lawyers. I don't know what they embrace. I'm not a fan. Um, I will say this. I often defend Cooley when outsiders talk about Cooley. You know, um, there's somebody I used to work with. you. always used to make jokes about Cooley. Well, you know, that. You know, you didn't walk in Cooley's shoes. It's like your family. You could talk about your family, but they can't talk about you. Now, I do know Cooley, I'm very... Appreciative that with my success date, or ask me for donations. If they could break a five-dollar bill, I'll consider it. You drew your line in the sand with me. You tried to put me out of business when I was broke in 2008. You turned me down for a fifteen-dollar-an-hour job. You talk about me, and now I'm arguably be the best criminal lawyer in the state. So, cool. You go themselves. Hope that answers your question. Next. Do you love Atlantic City? Hmm. I think most people in my situation have a conflicted relationship with their hometown. Um, I will say this. Many of the attributes I had to learn Atlantic City ...can basically have basically helped me a lot in the field of law. Do I love Atlantic City? No. Not at all. I have a lot of anger towards Atlantic City, actually. uh, Mainly because of my aunt, my mom. I really don't remember Aunt Mary and Mom being happy other than... ...when I was in sporting events, or I was an older boy, or I was in mock trial. They didn't have the happiest of lives outside of me, and... ...they were never happy in Atlantic City. Now, today, I would tell somebody, well, maybe we should f***ing move. We were poor as hell, and buying the house in Ventnor before my 20th birthday, that was the Mecca, right? We went from the ghetto to the suburbs. And I think the family felt going to the suburbs, that was happiness. It wasn't. I would not be the lawyer or the man I am today if I stayed in Atlantic City in the South Jersey area. I really don't have a lot of love for South Jersey. I have a lot of friends back there, Um, people I connect with still, never forget where you came from, just don't let where you came from dictate where you're going, and that's how I feel about Atlantic City, Um, I just, it's exhausting when a topic comes up, and lately it's been coming up a lot about Atlantic City, I am licensed in New Jersey, I had to do that, that was closure for me. But I have no, I've been offered many big jobs back home. I'll tell you one story about that. I've mentioned it before. There was a lawyer back home in South Jersey. He was a Cooley graduate, go figure. And I was up for a job, it was like 2009, something like that. And I went into the interview and I said, I will work. Free of charge for 30 days to prove myself. And it was like December. I worked every day nights, holidays, weekends. I busted my ass. It's like five weeks. And I just grind it and grind it and grind. Didn't even get Lunch Bowl for me once. And I'm poor back then, okay? And I proved myself. And I'm going to get my job. First big break back home. And this is it. This is what led to tutoring, actually. And he calls me into the office, and he says, "Bill, you've been amazing, but there's a Rutgers graduate. We're going to hire because he came from Rutgers." And I'm like, "You sold what I could do." He goes, "Yeah, but we got a Rutgers graduate coming in." And this was an Italian guy who was a Cooley graduate, who I made a ton of money for, going with a Rutgers graduate, picking the image over the substance. Today, that Rutgers graduate is disbarred in New Jersey, and that guy's firm is not doing great. He contacted me not too long ago, and with every dime he had in the world, wanted to build a criminal law enterprise around me in South Jersey, and I explained to him that the Bulls picked Sam Billy over Michael Jordan, people make mistakes. I'm sorry, the Trailblazers picked Sam Billy over Michael Jordan. People make mistakes. He didn't quite get it at first. But you f***ed up when you didn't keep me on. Um, So when it comes up, you know, there's a grudge being held there. I don't wish him well. I don't outwardly wish him any anger. Next, you defend it. I won't mention the person's name. How do you feel about the fact that you won that case? I'm assuming um, this is somebody who doesn't like this client. Let me just say this in the case in county you are referring to. I believed wholeheartedly the individual was innocent. They passed a police polygraph. And the prosecutor still didn't want to dismiss the case. And when I got the dismissal, I earned it, and I believe he's innocent. Whatever your personal feelings are with that individual, I don't know, but I'm sleeping okay at night. I believed in his innocence then, I believe in it now. So That's as much as I could say without breaking privilege on that. And the past Polly's is public knowledge. It was part of emotion since you know so much about the case. Next question. If I had to go to an unaccredited law school, is it worth doing? Here's the thing about that. Your general answer, <clears throat> your gut shot is no. It's not because you can't, unless it's California, you cannot actually um, sit for the bar exam. What you should do is if you're going to an auto law school, give yourself two terms, kick ass those two terms, and transfer to an accredited law school. It will cost you more in financial aid um, however, it may be your path to an accredited law school, and you need to go to the accredited law school to pass the bar exam. So, John Granger, old law school friend. <clears throat> can the argument be made that he was their tool to carry out the shootings? Yeah, I think it can, John. Um, it can be made. Now, you know as well as I do, causation is a potential issue there. But I think for probable cause purposes, that could definitely be made. For beyond a reasonable doubt, I don't know. But definitely for a PC, I think that tool could be made. Last question here. And this is a tough one for this under this young woman. Um, I don't want to lose my boyfriend. He said if I go to law school, we will break up. How do you balance your personal life and your dreams? Okay. Um, before I went to law school I will say this there was a young woman I was dating who I was somewhat serious with and she told me well you're going to go to Michigan so it's law school or me you're going to take me to Michigan and I will say that she wasn't part of the big picture and I cared for her but i was not gonna let anything get in the way of law school and we broke up and she actually um she hates me to this day but you know to me it wasn't even a debate i'm gonna give up law school over someone and my gut instinct tells me anybody who will put you to that task of your dream or me really is somebody who is not rooting for your dreams I don't want to play relationship therapist here because I don't know. I always say this in any relationship. If I'm not in it, I can't really intelligently speak on it. But here's what I can speak on. If you want to be a f***ing lawyer, not your dream, I wouldn't let anything stand in the way of that. The Jail Visit with Attorney Bill Amadeo from McManus & Amadeo. Connect with McManus & Amadeo at McManusAmadeo.com or call 800-392-7311.
0: This is The Jail Visit on Shiawassee Radio.
1: Second term, you know, you were on academic probation. So one of the things you had to do on academic probation was meet with the professors who gave you bad grades. And I had to meet with John Taylor, who gave me a C- minus in Contracts 1. And I had to meet with Norman Fell, who gave me the D in CREM. And John Taylor was nice enough. I mean, I don't think he gave me a fair grade, but he couldn't read my handwriting. That was the problem first term, that, you know, you can't read my essays, so you're going to give me a bad shot. Fell was interesting, because meeting with Norman Fell, it was like having some nobody tell you that you're not going to make it. Because oh, I've done a lot of law work in my life and I could tell you right now, you don't have what it takes to be a lawyer. And of course I could read your handwriting. Remember, I showed him my essays and I said, here, can you read that to me? And he tried, he couldn't make it through. So, Fell basically told me I didn't have what it takes. And because I was making an issue about my handwriting, which of course was bullshit to a lot of people, um, they sent me, with all the other people in academic probation, to Dr. Patricia Williams. I'm not sure what this woman was a doctor in, but she wasn't a lawyer. She made it very clear. Really, in my opinion, one of the most hideous women you've ever seen in your life. And she used to sit there, I'm not a lawyer, but I know what it takes to be a lawyer, because I I know cool kids. And she sat there, and she said to me, Well, your Nelson Denny score was horrible, and now you've got a 1.5 GPA. You're not going to make it through. And she goes, you know, you should go to trade school. And then she made fun of the New Jersey educational system. (laughs) She said in New Jersey, it's this, there, and that. there." I don't even know what she was saying. She goes, so I don't think you're going to make it. And I looked her in the eyes, and I said, trust me. I'm gonna get get off academic probation. I'm gonna make it through Cooley. She says, well, that would be nice, but it's nice to have dreams, isn't it? We have Cooley people. And she pointed to the wall of all these Cooley (laughs) alumni. And at the time, I didn't know who these people were. Years later, I looked them up. Let me tell you about some of the people that were the stars. One girl is disbarred. Um, several can't make their rent, but they did well at Cooley. And Patricia Wilson knew that, hey, these are the stars of Cooley. So we had to go to the stupid ARC seminars, the Academic Resource Center. We had to go to the ARC, if you were on academic probation, and do all these different classes. So in addition to my full course load, I was in the ARC. And I think the ARC, in my opinion, was one of the most useless endeavors of my career. Because if the ARC taught you differently than your professor taught you, there's a contradiction. And I knew if I was gonna make it through law school, what I needed was to type my message. You can't read my handwriting. So back then at Cooley, they had this thing called accommodations. And basically if you paid some psychiatrist $800, you could get extra time. That was the um, scheme, if you would. I didn't need the extra time. I needed to be able to type. So with my accommodation, I had the right to type, which was a huge look in 2005. And surprisingly, when I typed, the grades went way up. Because you could actually read the f***ing things I put down on the paper. It's unbelievable how, you know, it wasn't lack of intellect. It was the handwriting. And the people from Jersey, the enemies from Jersey, if you would, they were, huh. I was real about my grades. I'm like, look, I don't know if I'm going to make it through. And they said, oh, well, we knew you wouldn't make it. So you got an asshole like Norm Fell. You got somebody who I thought was clueless like John Taylor. Nothing against the guy. He didn't know what the hell he was doing. You got these idiots that are rooting against you. You got Dr. Wilson who, I don't know. Dr. Wilson shouldn't. I wouldn't let her train my dog to learn how to take a piss, letting alone. You know how to teach law students how the hell to do multiple choice. I mean, seriously, if Teddy had a problem with urination, I don't think Pat Wilson could figure out how to help him out. She would tell him how to pick the leg up wrong or something. <laughs> Clueless individual. Can't stand her and can't stand her now. And it's just all this was happening. Financial aid. Now, because you were on AP academic probation, cool. We had this game where you couldn't get your financial aid till week nine. So, you know, if you had to eat, that could be a problem if you were an academic probation. And it was part of like to make you tougher, I guess. I don't know. A lot of weird stuff there. So you're on AP and you're waiting for academic probation to hit and you're waiting for your financial aid money to come in. It was really a bizarre thing. And there was this one guy, he was a close friend in law school, uh, Joe Andrews. And Dr. Wilson said Joe Andrews was a star. He just got it quicker. Joe was a natural academic. Um, As a lawyer, if you got two parking tickets and he was your attorney, you're going to walk out with two parking tickets wasn't really he was a jag officer, which is kind of terrifying because the guy was i know he did well by Cooley's standards but man as a lawyer but the people that were getting grades at Cooley back then i don't understand it because knowing them in the real world i mean they're really kind of stupid it was very bizarre how that whole thing hit second term i had crim again the remix I had torts too, and I had contracts too. Contracts too was Professor High. And Professor High, he kinda checked out. You know, he was fine. No ill will against the man, but he was just kinda going through the motions. The other two professors were special. Mark Dotson. And I haven't really kept up with Mark Dotson but he helped turn things around for me at Cooley. I'd meet him in his office hours, and he would tell me how, you know, don't worry about that first term, you can do this. He took time, he cared. And what I used to do with Dotson was, I used to have my class on like Thursday morning I used to attend another section of his on Friday just to sit in. So I would listen to the material twice. And of course, Dr. Wilson had a problem with that because she said, and I quote, by you sitting twice, you're getting the benefit of two tuitions. I don't know about you guys. I love Mark Dots, and He was a great professor, but it wasn't exactly like a, floor seat to the final four okay you had to want to hear the material again and again and again and certain people would ask certain questions in the classes that would you'd pick up on things now we had grady jessup grady jessup for crim grady jessup was an amazing professor he cared went to his office hours. I went to his classes twice a week when I only had to go once. He literally took the time. I went to his office hour one time, and it's usually like a half hour slot. We spent three hours in there going over essays on his own time. The man cared. And to sum up my opinion of Cooley circa 2005, I think Norm Fell was the head of the crime department and grady Jessup got fired <laughs> you know and it was amazing because here's a professor who gives a shit, who's helping students we're going to fire him he didn't fit the political mode but norm fell who's going to fail out somebody who will become one of the top criminal lawyers in the state he's somebody we're going to admire if you look up grady jessup and norm fell in the real world i promise you i've been in touch with jessup jessup was more successful than fell um fell to use a ba- basketball analogy he was like the 11th man on the bench who was holding out for a bigger contract <laughs> you know like the 13th pitcher on the team the lousy middle reliever who's demanding more money joke Grady Jessup gave a s. Sh- and I killed Grady Jessup's course. And I killed Mark Dotson's course. And the big reason why I kicked ass and went from academic probation to Dean's this is because these two professors They took the time, number one, to get to know me. Number two, I was able to type my essays. And number three, I was able to just learn and not be encaptured in- by those bullsh first term grades I didn't deserve in the first place and Jessup and Dotson both taught me if you work hard you're going to be something you know they said don't worry about the grades so much and the grades came you know but there weren't many second termers that would go sit in extra classes on Saturdays and do this and do that It was a passion. And your second term was brutal. Because second term, if you don't get the grades, you're out. You got two terms of financial aid under your belt. You got to pay back. And you got nothing to show for it. And even worse than that, you go back to New Jersey, you're a failure. And Dr. Wilson was so motivational to me. Because I just wanted to stick it up her so bad. Pat Wilson, Norm Fell. Ugh. Jokes. In my opinion. And if you guys are watching it, yeah. Anytime you want to debate these things, you let me know. I remember finals. I remember um two things happened at finals. I remember the morning before torts too? I got up real early and I had a bowling for soup CD. And and I just kept listening to it over and over again. I was like playing the finals in my mind. I remember reading as a kid, failed baseball player here, and I remember Steve Carlton was one of my favorite baseball players. He was a big star with the Phillies when I was a child. And Steve Carlton, lefty, used to say he would envision the game in his head. He would play the game in his head over and over again. And I was listening to Bowling for Soup, and I was like listening to these finals in my head over and over again, like, I could almost encapture what was going to be on the final. Like, I could see the essays before I even sat down. And academics were never the same again. I just, it was time to take off. A big part of it was being able to type. A big part was having a couple professors that believed in me. And a third part of it was just wanting to stick it up to those people that said I couldn't make it. And there was a student who wasn't friends with him after finals, and I was driving back to my apartment and it was raining, it was raining really hard. remember this story well. The rain was pouring down and I saw this guy, he was drunk and I beat my horn. I said, hey, you wanna get in? And I dropped him off at his apartment and he looked at me, and he goes, you depress me. Okay, dude, I just drove you in the rain. What the hell do I depress you? And I said, by the way, you were all A's first term. What do I depress you about? He goes, what depresses me about you, he goes, is you're such a hard worker. You're going to do better than me in the real world. And I know it. Because I could see it. He goes, these grades aren't gonna matter. He goes, I'm gonna have a good three years and you're gonna have a great 30 years. And that's, because it's really sad to me. And I said to him, if that's the case, why don't you just work harder yourself? Because it's just not in me to do it. And that, in a nutshell, was the second term of cooling there would never be academic probation again. All right. That's it for me tonight, guys. Have a good night.
0: calling 800-392-7311.